Welcome to the Book Club Interview with your host, Scott Hollister, a show that empowers you to discover your best self through a deep understanding and review of books dedicated to self-improvement and business. All right, welcome to the Book Club Interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is Rick Miller, who is an unconventional turnaround specialist, a servant leader, and a go-to chief. He is also a business coach, an author, a speaker, and an expert at driving sustainable growth. Over 30 years, Rick has served as a successful business executive in roles including president or CEO in a Fortune 10 company, a Fortune 30 company, a startup, and a nonprofit. In each case, he was recruited from the outside to turn around a poor performance in difficult times. Rick currently serves as an executive coach in a company he founded 10 years ago. He is an extensively connected within the global business and leadership communities. Rick helps senior leaders ask the right questions. He offers tips and tactics in his recently released book, Be Chief. It's a choice, not a title, which was an Amazon number one new release in both leadership training and business management categories. Rick has also earned a BA from Bentley University and an MBA from Columbia University. Welcome to the book club interview today, Rick. How are you doing? Doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show. And before we get started, why don't you tell listeners a little bit more about your history and where you've came from? Well, as your listeners will very quickly find out because of my accent, I was born and bred in Boston. So if I lose an R and I put an R in where it doesn't belong, you'll have to attribute that to my geographic orientation in the Northeast U.S. So born and bred in Boston and the oldest of, uh, of three, uh, two younger brothers, uh, very successful, one running a staffing company uh, that's helping uh, kids on the spectrum get jobs down in Houston, the Potentia, the other a CFO. Uh, for a hospital network uh, in Indiana. My dad's still with us, thank goodness, in Massachusetts. And, and uh, again, a, a proud, uh, proud member of, uh, of Red Sox Nation. All right. And Patriots, I'm assuming, as well? Yeah, the Pats as well. But uh, you know, growing up, it was really the, uh, the Red Sox and the Celtics that were the, the teams that I focused on most uh, because of dad. And uh, yeah, no, no question. You know, the Bruins go into the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, there's a bunch of success in sports up in Boston, but primarily the, the Sox and the, and the Celtics. Awesome. Two great teams. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I had the pleasure of uh, meeting you for the first time this year and you were one of the headline speakers and it was just a phenomenal um, speech and you just have this, this energy and lightning about you when you, you, you light up the room with your, um, you know, your presentation and where you came from. So you had this really important thing that you talked about how your dad taught you everything you needed to know and how you learned about becoming a chief at home first. So how did your parents influence you as a role model in persistence? Well, thank you for the, the kind comments. And yeah, there's no question when I get a chance to speak, uh, I often start and end with my dad, because uh, everything that I've learned since, whether it was at a uh, graduate uh, MBA from Columbia and a graduate degree from Bentley, it's a business school and all the reading, I'm a, an avid reader. And it seems like everything that I have, have read and learned uh, in formal and informal settings only reinforced what dad taught me uh, a lot of years ago. So um, uh, I do talk a lot about my dad. My mom, unfortunately, was hospitalized for, for most of my life. So dad really raised his three, three boys as a single parent. Uh, uh, at least it seemed that way. Uh, and, but dad did a, did a phenomenal job. And dad, uh, dad taught a, a number of, uh, of things uh, to, to me and my, my two younger brothers. But 
part of it really came from his job. He was a personnel guy before there was human resources. There was personnel. And he was the human resource or personnel leader in the only non-union machine tool shop in central Massachusetts. So every place we went growing up, whether it was to the grocery store or the church or walking down Main Street, we'd see wonderful people who were union employees. But at my dad's company, uh, there was never even a union vote in the 27 years that he was there. So growing up at the kitchen table, I heard stories about compensation and grievances and benefits and, and recognition and things that, that you'd expect to hear of someone who, you know, come home from work and was talking about his job. And uh, I, I was just impressed that, uh, uh, you know, being the oldest, uh, I wanted to be a lot like dad, and I'm probably not the only oldest son that wants to be like his father. But I was so proud of the fact that, uh, that he, he basically taught me and my two younger brothers that, you know, the reason that the union wasn't needed at his company was because he created an environment of open communication between the workers and management. And again, the fact that there was never even a union vote in 27 years there uh, was just such an incredible lesson. And, and that taught me the lessons that uh, uh, if people have titles, they do have power. There's no doubt about it. But what he taught us was that people without titles have power and that everybody is their best when they feel powerful, but everyone makes their own choices. So those are the four lessons that dad taught. And you talked about persistence. Uh, just a quick story related to the, to the first topic. We were talking a little bit about the Celtics. Dad taught uh, all three of us that you could have a, a, a good season, and that was fine. But by the time I was 11 years old, Scott, by the time I was 11 years old, the Boston Celtics had won 10 championships while I was alive. So, you know, we talk about dynasties and everything, but that, that's what Dad taught us. He said, you know, you can have a, you know, a, good, uh, a good season, but what it takes to, to, to sustain a high level of performance is you build a culture. And that's what he did at work. And that's what the Celtics did on the, on the basketball court. And those are things that stuck with me. Mm. That's beautiful about building that culture. And that's, that's phenomenal. 27 years, unreal. And I remember that quote from the book. It was, you know, people with titles have power. People without titles have power as well. And I love that. That, that jumped right off the page. And uh, that'll, that'll stick in my head for a while there. Great. Oh. But I want to, you know, talk about building your compass. And I love the analogy in the book, you know, going from point A to point B. And how do we use our compass to stay on track when blazing a new trail? Well, you know, I, I, for years and years, Scott, I talked about a roadmap uh, as I was, you know, I started this book 10 years ago. I actually started writing this thing 10 years ago. And, and as I, one of the things that I adjusted along the way was this shift from a roadmap to a compass. And let me tell you why. Because when you are at, you know, a roadmap is a wonderful tool. You could be at one place and I could be at another place and we could both want to go to different places, but we could use the same roadmap, right? I mean, a good roadmap can, can get you, and by the way, if you want to go from point A to point B, one day you might choose to do the expressway if you need to get there quickly. You could use the same roadmap to take the scenic route or say if you want to stop at a particular town along the way, the, a good roadmap will always serve you well. So I always thought that if we had a good roadmap, it would give us a sense of direction, which would be great. But I thought about just what you just asked. What about these days where many times people want to blaze a new trail or to stay with the analogy, what if there's not a road that goes where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm. there's, it's not a paved road. No one's ever been there before. And we see a lot of people uh, that, that want to go someplace 
different. And so that's when I kind of shifted the focus from a roadmap to a compass. Because with a compass, you know, generally, if you know who you are, you know you want to go, let's say, north-northwest. And you, there might, might not be a road that goes north-northwest. You may be actually cutting down the brush, and you may be paving the road yourself. But mm. a compass will allow you to go in the direction that fits you, not necessarily somebody else. And that's, that's the essence of the book, really, because you know the title of the book is Be Chief. But the subtitle is It's a Choice not a title. And the choice that you make is to understand yourself better so you can build your own compass and know that you want to go north, northwest, maybe where no road has ever existed before. Mm. And, and that was another favorite part of you know your speech in the book as well, is that you started with the values, right? The, the core of your compass. And you to- talked about choosing four of those. And, and that's a hard thing to, to kind of keep in the forefront of our minds. But I think it's so important that you have that strong foundation that is value-led. And fear is a powerful motivator, you know, either positive or negative. So how do we face our fears and learn to live our values? Well, you know, it's a great question, and there's a lot to it, so let's break it down. Let's talk about facing our fears first. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I've, uh, in the book, we talk. I, I mentioned a lot of great books that I've read. I think I referenced 20 of the best books I've ever read and give the readers kind of my summary of, of why these have been so impactful. And one of the books we highlight uh, in my book is the great work uh, done by Brene Brown and her book, Daring Greatly. And she talks and has done some great research on how we face our fears and, and acknowledging that our fears generally come from an insecurity about not being enough. Like, mm-hmm. we're not strong enough. We're not this enough. We're, I'm not smart enough. We're, everybody has these fears about what they're not enough of. And so, Brene, and in the book, we talk about how, how you can develop little tools that can allow you to understand what your strengths are. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm six foot two, but I'm never going to be an NBA center, right? That's just facing the reality of the gifts that were, were given to me. Um, so you've got to face what is actually there. And, and, and as I say in the book, it's very clear of dealing with, with uh, and give you tips about how you kind of understand what your strengths are. And, and then linking from those, uh, those strengths really go to the core of what you mentioned, which is our values. Um, in the book, we talk a lot about the fact that there are a lot of great things you can stand for, right? You can, you can be, uh, pick a list. I, I think in the book, I offer 50 different attributes of very positive things that, that you could stand for. But if you think about it, could you really stand and be known to, to stand for 50 different things? So here's the exercise that, that I love to do. And Scott, I know we talked about it when we were together. You know, if you ask five people who know you best, Tell me the four attributes that you think I stand for. You can do the math. If, uh, if you ask five different people what four things you stand for, five times four is 20, you could get 20 different answers, which might not be a bad thing, but is that as powerful potentially is if you regularly stood for four consistently so that you went to those five people and they all said the same four things. That would give you some feedback that if you're living eating, sleeping, breathing, and dreaming, the same four that you've consciously selected values that are important to you, that when your speech and the way you write and the way you act, you're always reinforcing those, not to the exclusion of perhaps some good attributes that that others uh, might include, but you stand for four. And I talk about the four that I stand for. It doesn't make me right, but I've done a lot of work to think that truth, 
service, equality, and connection are the four things that I stand for. And I, I believe that once we, and the book brings you through the process of selecting your own. And then once you figure out where you stand, you can take a stand. And remember, mm-hmm. this is all about being powerful. And when you take a stand, you're powerful. And the fears, going back to those, kind of pull back because you're standing in your strength. And you're less focused on what you're not enough of because you're clear about what you're strong about. Mm-hmm. That's great. That, that clarity definitely brings that power. And there's a few things. I, lo- I love the reference to all the books. So the, the books were phenomenal. And I think that's amazing. I love how you started writing the books so long ago because, you know, you are what you learn and read over time. And, and you've, you've created this own beautiful book called Be Chief. And I was looking up and you have this, this great TED Talk, which I'll link in the show notes. And I remember you sitting down and being invited um, and you're sitting, I believe, next to a CEO or something. Yeah. And you started making a little bit of comparisons. And you just mentioned something by the question, but, you know, not necessarily getting permission, but becoming your own chief, right? And, and realizing that there's not much different from the person at the top to you. Right. So how powerful was that, that mind shift at that moment? Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Yeah. And I do, uh, glad you're going to link the TED Talk in because to me, it was a, it was one of those seminal moments. I mean, I had graduated from business school and, and thought that being a chief was about being a chief executive officer or a chief financial officer. I thought success, and I wanted to be this, this chief thing, but there was only two of them back in the day. There were a lot of vice presidents and presidents and executive vice presidents, but there were only two chiefs at the top of an organization. And I was a aspiring young individual who who uh, you know loved my dad, but people in human resources never made any money, and I wanted to make some, right? I wanted to make some money. So while grounded in HR principles, I wanted that chief title. And the story I tell in the in the TED talk is I you know I'd done pretty well. I I'd, I'd worked very hard, had some good luck, had some good mentors, and had some success. And at about the twenty year mark, I was actually president of AT and T Global Services. I was running about a thirteen billion dollar organization, tens of thousands of people around the world, and I'm on a corporate jet with the CEO of AT and T, Mike Armstrong. Now, Mike, it was a Fortune ten CEO, and I was sitting next to him, realizing that uh, when I first got on the plane, I'm sitting next to the guy whose job I want. Right? I really want his job. That's the chief, the chief executive officer of a Fortune ten. And then as I was sitting there next to him and I was checking him out, I realized how tired he looked. And frankly, he looked as tired as I felt. And he was dressed the same that I was. And he looked, honestly, a great guy, but he looked very old. And I thought to myself, I'm working so hard to get to his job so that I could look that old. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I've worked with gifted people over 20 and focused on being present and realized I didn't need the chief title to, to reach that. So not long after, after the plane landed, uh, I actually started to look for another job. So it was, it was a seminal moment for me and the idea of a chief not necessarily being that title and, and, and seeing it. But again, I'd spent 20 years chasing it, so I can't tell you it came to me overnight. But mm. when it came to me, it was really a, a game changer. That's beautiful. You had it within you the whole time, right? Yep. 
No. Now, one of the most important thing is encouraging others. So I want to talk about support when it comes to helping a team of chiefs. So what are your favorite tips on, you know, inspiring and encouraging others to be their best self? Well, it's such, it's a great question because at the end of the day, you're, you're only as successful as the people who are around you. And sometimes when you have a position where you are, uh, you have a title, if you will, or you're, you're at the top of the, of the org chart, uh, you say, you know, I'd, I'd really like the support of my people. When, when you kind of open your eyes, you realize that you'll get that support in direct proportion to the degree to which you support them. So supporting people is the key to any success at any level. And there are some tips that I like. Um, when I come into an organization, I, I, I generally question quite a bit. Sometimes I know the answers to the question, but I really want to use questioning as a way of, of not only a set, kind of learning what the person knows, but giving them an opportunity to express their areas of strength. That's a tip. Um, mm. When you try to enable someone else's success, it's so critical to do what I call full body listening, right? Sometimes we listen, but we might not hear. And I want you to hear at all levels, right? I want, you know, total body listening, total body hearing. That's important. Encouragement. You simply cannot, cannot encourage too much, right? Mm. Yeah, good friend, Chester Elton, uh, wrote a great book called The Carrot Principle. And you know it's absolutely impossible to give someone too much recognition. It's impossible. So you know, push the envelope on recognition. Certainly to support others, they'll look at what you do in addition to what you say. So you better model the way. And then frankly, when you're talking about uh, supporting others, we talk about inspiring people. There's just, <laughs> there's no substitute, honestly, Scott, for a good story. And whenever mm -hmm. I come into an organization, I really search for the people who probably don't have a title, someone who might be on the front line, but who has performed, you know, extremely well. And I, I you know, you want to make heroes out of people, give people an idea of what it really takes to succeed. If you're new to the organization as a leader, as a turnaround guy, I'm often brought in to, to turn things around. But the first thing you do want to understand is that the people who are there, who have always been there are the key to its future, not you. You just need to get roadblocks out of their way. And part of it is clearly messaging with stories about someone who's there, who's doing a wonderful job already and make him a hero. So those tips have worked for me. Hmm. That's beautiful. So, so you are tasked with this, you know, huge, huge, you know, weight on your shoulders about, you know, turning around a division or a company around now that first step in becoming chief for that organization. So is that what you're doing? You're kind of going in there, emerging yourself about the organization and, and looking to remove those roadblocks for other people? Yeah, you've got a bunch of things, you know, the first steps when you're, when you're, uh, when you join a team, right. And, and yes, you may, you may be tasked, uh, as one of the people who is, uh, uh, supposed to turn things around, um, and the first steps are really important. So in the book, we, we dedicate a whole section to how do you start this process? We spend a lot of time talking about the day one speeches. The first speech you'll ever give is really important. So how do you handle it? We have a section on language, how important language is. We have a section on stories. We have a, a, a really important section on early lessons because in any organization of any size, Someone will come in and they'll have a great talk or whatever. And, but people will look very quickly, Scott, at, at, at something we point out in the book of who gets promoted and who gets demoted, right? Mm. It's interesting that, that people have, have a, a finely tuned sense of who is getting ahead 
And the lessons that you send to a group of people by who you promote are just huge. So you can have strategy on PowerPoints and you can talk till you're blue in the face. But if you promote someone and that's misinterpreted as, wait a minute, they promoted somebody who has this, uh, it can be misinterpreted as, as, as perhaps this person had a flaw or, or they, they, got, they made their numbers, but they didn't necessarily make them in a teeming way. You've got all kinds of unintended consequences about promotions and what people will read into them. So promote very carefully and look to demote. But the last one I'll give you, and this is written up in the book, and, and it's one of my favorite tools, is something I call the go test. And it's really simple. When you walk into an organization, you'll find three groups of people. And uh, you know, so the question is, where do you spend your time? The first group of people I call the go-goes. Right? They're 20% of the organization that know what they're doing. The best thing you can do for them is get obstacles that may have been there when you arrived out of their way and then stay out of their way, right? Just stay out of their way. Okay. That's the go goes on the other end of the spectrum. There are the no goes. Now these are not bad people, but maybe they're in the wrong job or, or maybe they're just in a situation where they can't get on board with where you'd like to go. So rather than spending a lot of time trying to convince them, if there are no goes, the best thing you can do is to move them out of their business or move them into another position where they can, they can get enthused, right? So that's the second group. The middle group is called the go buts. This is where you ought to spend your time. You want to spend time with people who want to become go-go's, but, for example, they just need to hear the compensation plan one more time, or they just need to understand the strategy because it wasn't clearly explained to them. Or, and it's a one-by-one one thing, Frank will go, when Bob goes, so you, so you know you figure out what it takes for someone to to remove an obstacle. So when you're the first steps is all about people. It's communicating clearly, finding out where they are and where they want to be, and helping them get there. Hmm. That's a great process. And in the book, you outline some amazing team successes. So for those of our you know who are numbers people, how would you describe what this pr- approach delivers? Well, and, and it's, it's a great question because we are a very numbers focused. Uh, the question is, what do you measure? If you only measure revenue growth, you only measure profit growth, you might not be measuring with the same intensity or, or diligence things like employee satisfaction, very important, or customer loyalty. But for those that are kind of top line and bottom line oriented, we tell stories of, of a simple strategy, choices that can be made that have consistently tripled the growth rate of million and billion dollar organizations. Million and billion dollar organizations have had their growth rate tripled by following some of these tips. So I think it's worth a look. Mm. Oh, that's great. Now, your book is all about you know what you and others describe as servant leadership. So can you share with the listeners how the proceeds from this book are serving others? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because you're right. It is about servant leadership. It is about uh, being your best self and and serving others as you do it. A lot of great work on on servant leadership. Uh, excuse me, a lot of great uh, writing on servant leadership. Um, and and I was you know very happy to to uh, to uh, choose to donate all 100% of the uh, author proceeds from this from this book, whether it's ebook or as an audio book out now, the, the paperback. Uh, or hardcover, all author proceeds are going to serve 
uh, the special needs community. In particular, there's a wonderful organization in Austin, Texas called Sammy's House. And Sammy's House does a great job. Many people are familiar with the St. Jude's, which does a wonderful job in Tennessee helping kids and families with cancer. Well, mm -hmm. uh, in Austin, Texas, Sammy's House does the same thing for a group of special needs kids and families that have special needs children. So all proceeds uh, from the, that would otherwise come to this author uh, are going to Sammy's House. So this really is a service project through and through. Yes, it can help you with your business. Yes, it can help you uh, uh, in, in, in many ways be more effective with your people. But know that the money that, that, uh, that you'd be spending for, again, the audiobook, the ebook, or, or any hardcover format or, or paperback is going to help special needs kids. And, and I feel real good about that. Yeah, that's beautiful, Rick. I have to commend you on that. That's a that's a amazing thing to to work the majority of your life and then be able to give that back and, and help other people along the way as well. Well, happy to be able to do it. Awesome. And before we wrap things up, I want to ask you a, a quick question. So what's some of the best advice that you've ever received when it comes to business and life? Uh, well, it's, it's again, it goes back to dad. Um, people have strengths, people have weaknesses, know your strengths and play into them, right? As, as I'm a parent of, of two very successful uh, uh, folks, uh, son and my daughter. And, uh, you know, we like, like all parents want our kids to do well. So when they, when they came home, uh, you know, with a, with a report card that might have uh, all A's and the B, our focus was to not focus on, Hey, what happened with the B? Right. I mean, cause we all do that. Right. What, what do you mean? What, what happened with the B? No, you get four A's. Right. And uh, so, so the point is for all of us, you have to focus on your strengths, focus on what you, uh, what you're given as your natural gifts, certainly build on them. Uh, but we all have them. We all have them. We're so quick to talk about what we don't have, this whole not enough thing that, that mm -hmm. we all carry. Uh, but that's, that's, uh, that's focusing on the wrong thing. We've all been given so many gifts, and there's such a wonderful opportunity to surround yourself with, with diverse individuals of all kinds, experiential diversity, classic diversity, so that your strengths can be connected with someone else who may have different strengths. And that's when, that's when teams succeed, and that's what my dad taught me. That's perfect. That's great. So find your strengths and lead it from the values that you learn in this book. It's beautiful. All right. Rick, I really appreciate your time today you know, coming on the show. Before we wrap things up, can you tell the listeners where to find out more about you and where's the best place to purchase your book? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the easy way to go is to the, to the, uh, the book page, which is bchief, B-E-C-H-I-E-F.com, bchief.com. Uh, that is linked to my uh, broader uh, website uh, where you can, you can purchase the book. You can uh, get a free chapter downloaded. Uh, you can read more about the great work done by Sammy's House. Uh, you can see uh, a bunch of reviews uh, that are done from a bunch of different places, uh, educational institutions, government, uh, CEOs have weighed in on the book. Um, you can go to Amazon.com uh, where I think, I don't know, 60 or 70 folks have, have talked about what the book has meant to them. Um, and by all means, uh, you know, take a look at uh, probably bchief.com is the best place to, uh, to bring it all together. By the way, you also get a free link uh, on site to take your own uh, assessment. I mean, you can determine how powerful you are right now by taking about four minutes and answering some simple questions on your smartphone to give you a baseline. So how powerful are you now? And by the way, what simple choices could you make to be more powerful tomorrow. So I certainly want you to buy the book and support Sammy's house. But if you just want to get a score for how powerful you are, go take the free assessment and take it from there. 
Thanks so much for listening to this show of the Book Club Interview with your host, Scott Hollister. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the Book Club Interview.